Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Hello, Rank Squad, and welcome to Ranks FC. It is 9.30 p.m. UK time on a Tuesday night. And I tell you that because 12 hours ago, we sat down to record this Ranks FC podcast. It started with 25 minutes about how angry we were, about the concept of the European Super League, about how it had come to pass, about the reasons why these clubs were pursuing it, and about Florentino Perez's interview on Monday night and, and all the elements of that since then things have slightly changed and we figured that we might need to to update the scenario so we're going again for the second time in a week we are re-recording the ranks fc podcast after starting it my name is jack collins and i'll be your host today and joining me is mr sam ty yes i'm supposed to be in bed but here i am it's 9 30 um, mate it is it is i'm mr dean jones Hello, mate. Hello, mate. Um, there um, are more you, smiles on this You sound different, Dino. You sound different. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I probably do sound different, lads. I'm not even on a microphone today, so I, I usually mess up the microphone settings, don't I? So I don't normally <laughs> sound sound good at the best of times. But right now, I'm sat in my kitchen with AirPods in because, um, well, our 11 month old baby is sleeping above the. <laughs> The microphone, basically. I, I, I stick it underneath the desk after I finish recording um, with the headphones and thought I was done for the day. Can't get to it, lads. So apologies for the sound. I'll try and speak as little as possible. I'll make sure every every nugget of information and everything I've got to say is either funny or filled with knowledge. Can so you it's make worth- sure... Well, every week yeah yeah that should be that should be the minimum <laughs> requirement of being on the podcast but here we are um the there are more smiles on this zoom call than there were at nine o'clock this morning when we started this maybe because it was nine o'clock this morning and actually nine o'clock in the evening is, is is a more comfortable time in the lexicon for, for me at least and um, but everyone seems a little bit happier and sam maybe is worth running down, well, the kind of mad 10 hours that or so that have happened in the football world since, you know, at, at midday, everything just felt like it was steaming towards a Super League going ahead. Well, yeah, I mean, it's been basically 48 hours of absolute condemnation of this terrible, terrible idea that steals the soul of football and rips up the fabric of its competitive element and destroys the meritocracy that we hold so dear to the sport and that's what makes it sport um and over the last couple of days since sunday night we've been hoping and praying that footballers and managers will step out and make a stand in the way that gary neville has done so uh, so vociferously and we're a little bit disappointed i guess because the first one we got was thomas tuchel who uh, to be fair has only been in the job three months and it's only on an 18 month contract because that club fires managers uh, very, very, very prolifically. So he was a little bit um, reticent to speak out, but it didn't take us long to get the first one, did it? Pep Guardiola. Pep Guardiola comes out and says, this isn't a competition. 
this isn't sport. And once you've got that first domino in Pep Guardiola, who manages a club involved in that initial 12. And yeah, I think Klopp, I suppose. We, we, we haven't recorded since Monday night. And true. James Milner. Well, yeah, but Klopp, um, Klopp, I thought, was quite cautious. Yeah, uh, I thought he was, but we do know what his feelings are are on this anyway because he said stuff in the past and he didn't change those feelings. So we know that Klopp is against it, but he was still digesting a relatively new piece of information on Monday night. By Tuesday, I think we knew everything. Pep comes out and says no. Um, there's a whole list of other players as well over the course of the day and yesterday that, that said no to this. James Milner, uh, Bruno Fernandes, Ander Herrera, Daniel Podence, Robin Gosens, uh, João Cancelo, Meza Özil, Richarlison. Dejan Lovren were all part of the initial cluster of players and obviously there were going to be more but those are the ones I saw and then over the course of today we got so many more we had Benjamin Pavard we had Tony Kroos on his own podcast calling himself a puppet uh, we had Bakary Sanya, Van Aanholt, Schmeichel, Wes Fafana, Patrick Bamford was fantastic in his interview on Monday Marcus Rashford, obviously, him and his cape come in and save the day. Kevin De Bruyne has done a nice old post. Schweinsteiger, Danny Alves and, you know, Beckham and Klopp in, in that time as well have also spoken out. And so once all of this had happened, Chelsea decided, as it stands, as has been reported right now at, at you know, 9.30 on a Tuesday night, Chelsea are, are pulling out of the Super League. And then we got wind that City, Man City and Atletico uh, looking and preparing to do the same thing. Then we got a news release from Jean Laporta, uh, new president of Barcelona, saying that he would only allow this to happen for Barcelona if the socios, the members of the club, voted it in. And I think we all know how that's going to go. Then Ed Woodward resigns. <laughs> the chairman of Manchester United. Oh, my goodness me. Then there's a rumour that Andrea Agnelli resigns, but that turns out to be not true, as far as we know, Juventus chairman. Um, there was an emergency meeting with all 20 Premier League captains today, led by Jordan Henderson. Uh, it's said that Maguire and Luke Shaw confronted Ed Woodward and told him that uh, they were not particularly happy and that the players were united in this front. And all of this combined... I'd like to say ESL in the mud, boys. Uh, we'll have to see if that holds true on Wednesday morning, but it looks to me like this competition is on its knees already. Yeah, it, it, the rumours are that all 12 clubs are currently locked in in a chat and uh, and that's what's happening. And, and, and therefore, given the statements, you've also just seen all of Liverpool's players announce the same message at once, which was basically to say that they are not going to they don't want to be part of this they you know they they their commitment to liverpool is complete but they don't believe this tournament to be correct um there's lots there's lots of things that have all happened at once and it has felt a little bit this afternoon like dominoes have started to fall oh, yeah. you know starting from that chelsea protest where the celebrations on the street were like chelsea had won a tournament you know, as as it announced, they were supposedly pulling out of this. Um, and, and since then, you know, it seems like all these things are falling. It's, it's a night for tweet deck, I would say. It feels like a night where, where things are <laughs> popping off constantly on the browser. And, and I do think that, you know, while it's risky to suggest that this is a done deal, um, as I tweeted earlier, you know, even Chelsea saying they were supplying the documentation to think about pulling out of this competition. I was like, don't think you make a Faustian pact with the devil and just the devil lets you walk away. I I'd be intrigued as to what will happen with 
Florentino Perez now, whether he will he will just allow this to fall apart, whether this was all one big smoke screen to basically push through those UEFA reforms that for the Champions League that were basically a, a Super League light. Um, and th- there's plenty of, of questions still unanswered. There's plenty of things that will still anger fans kicking around. But I suppose the big official news of the night is that Ed Woodward has resigned as CEO of, of Manchester United. And that's a massive, massive blow for him and for this competition, Dean. Yeah, of course it is. I mean, look, United fans absolutely delighted at this. I mean, who would have known that it was going to take a European Super League being announced to get everything they actually wanted? Like Ed Woodward resigning from his role um, as United's executive vice chairman and following on from that, to be honest, it's starting to be rumoured that the Glazers will now look to sell up and it wouldn't surprise me at all because Woodward is their man. Right, Woodward has been the face of the Glazers um, at United, and he's fronted up everything um, that they've wanted him to, and he's he's gone with everything that they've wanted. It's going to be difficult to find somebody else to do that, I think. And the other thing the Glazers would have wanted was this Super League because of the money it would have brought in. I think without those two things, I don't see as much life left in it for them. I don't think there's much left for them to turn to. And you know, Woodward. Obviously, his major role, as far as United fans are concerned, has been in the transfer market and, and sorting out that sort of business. His, his background has always been in accounting um, and banking. But, yeah, Woodward has been running Man United and the fans obviously haven't liked him for some time now. They've wanted him out of the club and they're going to get their way. I mean, it's a huge moment, obviously, that... He then got the whole knock-on effect of, well, who can afford to buy Man United? Who's going to come into a role like that? And we'll have to wait and see for all the answers to those those things. But, you know, football is starting to come back around here. And we've still not seen how the Liverpool situation unravels from here. There was There is massive pressure on FSG. Um, and it would not surprise me if, if they end up walking away from this as well. I'd heard rumours for months, to be honest, about... Um, you know, friction between the owners and and Klopp and other people at the club. So we'll see how that now comes to a head. The players obviously aren't happy and they've tweeted. So um, Klopp has been very, well, he's been very angsty, hasn't he? And, uh, you know, biting back at Gary Neville and just, he's been like this for a while now. And the season obviously hasn't gone anywhere near the way you would have imagined it was when you're defending a league title. Um, Certainly didn't see this coming. As... Things have yeah. developed here. Uh, Man City have just announced that they are confirming they have formally enacted procedures to withdraw from the group developing plans for mm. a European Super League. And on your point about um, Manchester United, Conor McGregor has tweeted saying, hey guys, I'm thinking about buying Manchester United. What, what do you think? <laughs> so, I mean, it's choo-choo all change at the station. Um, but yeah. uh, th- there's more coming as, as it goes. And it does feel like things are just falling and falling and falling. Um, but it is worth pointing out that you know, we talked on the original recording of this first part of the podcast about, yes, about the greed and avarice of the group setting this up. And, you know, I posted on Instagram and on Twitter about what, what my thoughts were on that. And, I, you know, put that little soliloquy out about how this wasn't the game that we love because the game that we love is based on merit and succeeding at the top level. And yes, there are teams that are unfairly advantaged. Of course there are in, in the modern game of football, the commercialization of football, it's all been there for a while. This isn't something new, but to completely seal yourself off from the rest of the pack is what makes this so 
I think, indigestible to people. But we talked, Sam, about the fact that the energy to, to, you know, to hit back at this from UEFA and from the FA and from La Liga and from the federations and the leagues and the clubs and the players, you know, the energy has only come at a point where it's going to pocket hit, right? We haven't seen this energy, as Patrick Bamford pointed out in his post-match interview yesterday, you know, for targeting and, uh, you know, the re... I wouldn't say emergence because it's been a problem for, you know, as long back, as far back in time as football can remember. But I think the, you know, the particular re-rifeness of racism in the game recently that we've seen on social media, this anger and aggression towards the Super League, can we channel that in ways that, you know, can now make the game a better place? Can we challenge channel that towards making competitions, you know, more fair? Can we channel that towards to an ownership model like the German ownership model, which puts power back in the hands of the fans. This, you know, could be a breaking point. And we talked about it being, you know, a potential real watershed moment for football. But could it also be the point where the tide rolled back? I mean, I'd like to think so. I was really happy with with Patrick Bamford on, on Monday night, you know, just, just kind of diverting the conversation slightly and go, huh, I see it only matters when you're losing money. What about when the real social issues hit? And that was a fantastic point and I'm glad he made it. And I must admit, I hadn't even, it hadn't even struck me. Like it hadn't struck me about the, the level of reaction to, to, to the two relative issues. And I'm a bit ashamed for that as well, I guess. I just didn't really, didn't really, didn't really register. But um, yeah, ultimately, if it's a vehicle for change, then fantastic. I think that the fan ownership point you bring up is, is huge. I've had a couple of friends, well, I've had lots of people texting me solidly for the last two days, even people that don't like football, asking me what the hell is going on and then asking why the German clubs aren't involved. And it's, it's an easy explanation. It's that their moral compass is not broken. Um, they're still in touch with their communities. They're still pillars of their communities and they're still staples in those communities. Football is, is for the fans. It's for the, it's for the region and it's a working class sport and their 50 plus one rule and their fan ownership has meant that all along, all through these last two or three decades in which money has steadily filtered into the game, they haven't lost touch with what these football clubs actually are and represent in the local community. And we've had a bit of a reality check, haven't we, uh, across the rest of Europe, England in particular, but those clubs in Spain and Italy that are involved in this too. Bit of a reality check. Forgotten what makes the club so special. And it's time to take a look back at that and maybe consider some other things along the way. Yeah, and I mean, also, let's consider, like, next time, who we're selling our football clubs to. Um, you know, a massive issue here is that the, all the owners that were involved in the English clubs, like, they weren't anything to do with the traditions and the roots of the football clubs. And they had no reason to be. They were looking at it purely from, from a business point of view. I understand that that's how the world moves these days, but there has to be something that, that comes into the the motion here of okay this has been a great win for everybody if if the european super league doesn't go ahead that's great that fans can have this but let's now take that into the english game as well and and let's let's try and change some things about the way our own football clubs are just run generally about the way the premier league's run because they look this was a complete greed and you know you talk about the lack of competition and everything and that was it was just going way too far but there's massive issues still right, left in our own game that, that we'll need to get to grips with so i think it'll be good i think it's it's a wake-up call for everybody and and a nice sign that actually yeah you know your voice actually is heard um and that people people take notice i suppose the elephant in the room is that the plans for a reform champions league were 
put through on Monday in the midst of this with no one paying really any attention because nothing had happened at that point to suggest that there was going to be these teams in, in mm. the competition again. Now they go back and do you punish these clubs? Do you punish massively? Yeah. Well, yes. Do you punish these clubs or so now that the CEO of Manchester United has left, right? We're talking about the fact that they, they will potentially be put up for sale within the next day or, or a couple of days. So who are you punishing by punishing Manchester United? Now, I'm not saying not to. Let me just make that clear from the off. And I think that there needs to be some sort of, of way that, that the clubs can be punished without necessarily affecting the players and managers who have been taken along for a ride in some ways, and especially the fans who have fought back against it. Now, I saw Rory Jennings, who was part of the Chelsea protest, speak earlier about, he was like, we need to be punished. Chelsea need to be punished for even daring to, to sign up to this scheme. And, and, I, and I appreciate that sentiment. And I, I think that if fans can say it about their own clubs, then that's a start to being able to be like, look, we deserve to be given some sort of punishment for thinking we were somehow better than the rest. But I do worry that punishing players and fans and management disproportionately for something that they had absolutely no say in is potentially harsh. Yes, I understand that. But... Um... If 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 we say if we say okay well look I mean the players the players didn't have anything to do with this let's let's not punish the players let's go let's go super soft Dean you've just raised a point about who owns these clubs and how in touch with traditions and and certain part, certain things uh, and and how important they are uh, that they actually are and it's like if you let them get away with it now what's to say that Man United isn't sold to somebody else who also just doesn't care and because they got away with it once. Uh, they'll be soft on us. Don't worry about that. Oh, they'll try and do it again. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, well they'll, aware. They'll, they'll try. They'll try and do it again, and it will, it will be money talks again, and we'll, we'll go through the similar cycle. It might take 20, 20 or thirty years. This, con- this, this, this podcast might not be in, in existence by yes, then. Yes, it will. Don't worry about it. Okay. Just- yeah, fine, <laughs> all right. But it, it might be a while, but it, it, will, it will happen again. And you need that. You need that red line in the history books to say, "Remember that time we tried to leave? Ah, we got twenty points deducted, or we were sent to the championship." Like. I don't, I don't know how harsh you need to be, but the Premier League and the FA should be mightily embarrassed by this and they should be coming down really, really hard. It's easy for me to say I'm not a fan of a top six club and neither of, neither of you, neither are you two. So it's, it's really easy for us to sit here and say it, but I feel vindicated in saying this because every person I know or every fan, or every, every friend I have that supports these clubs basically agree with me. They're like, yeah, this can't, the, you, you, the, the chops on these guys are unbelievable, and yes, it's going to be it's going to be really harsh on you know if if Man United gets sanctioned, then Rashford and Bruno Fernandes it's not what they signed up for. But I mean, if you do something like this, then this is pretty bad, and it's not the same thing. But let, what what, uh, what reference points have we got? Calciopoli, Juventus relegated to Serie B. Um, that wasn't the players' fault. They didn't match fix. They got sent to the second division regardless, though. Well, they all left. No, they didn't. Well, a lot lot of them left. Yeah, but like people like Chiellini stuck around and they got promoted straight away. Like like Cannavaro went to Real Madrid. But like, it's it's a reference point. That's the closest thing we've got. Yeah, no, I I suppose it is. And and that's the the difference. And and yes, that punishes the fans. But but then the fans didn't kick back against it. It wasn't the fans being like, hold them accountable. This time it is. And maybe that changes it slightly. I don't know. Like you say, there's not many reference points here to what, what we can work with before. But we are kind of learning on the job in, in some ways. You know, just seen Liverpool, one of their sponsors has announced that they are cutting ties with the club about 
about this entire thing and 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 that's i suppose that's how i'd maybe address it as that's how i would i would look at it i would say look you've gone out to this for greed and avarice and money i was like next time the broadcast rights deals come around you're all getting 100 million less and they're being and that will be split down the pyramid to make it you know to, to you know to help other clubs and help people catch up and rebalance and readdress the balance a little bit that sponsor's yeah. not dulux is it <laughs> No, Dulux are Dulux are well about. Dulux are running Tottenham now. I don't know what you. I don't know what you're on about. Lads, I think you know. You should also remember like what we've called this podcast. I mean, going in just to give people a background of like you know when we go into a a Wednesday episode and we're looking for what to what to do and what to rank and stuff like that. Obviously, it was a it was a tough one this week because there was only one thing, one theme in town that you could talk about with. with talk of the announcement of the, the European Super League and, and we came to this like you know ranking clubs you can believe in and basically what it means is ranking clubs that like you need a backup team to support basically everybody who supports a top elite club who's just you know basically shown that they're willing to sell the soul of the club at the drop of a hat yeah they can't be trusted so if they can't be trusted, then you need to start looking elsewhere because there is plenty of football in the world left to love, right? And, um, you know, when we first did our recall for this earlier in the day, Jack was very, very sad. And I tried to cheer him up a little bit by saying, look, there are thousands and thousands of football teams and players out there. And football is not going to die if the European Super League is launched. That the At the elite level, it would have completely changed because of the gap that would have opened up between those 15, 20 teams and the rest of the teams in their domestic leagues. But there's so much left out there that, that we can grasp. And I think that that will now come around. And I think that people will just look to embrace football and enjoy it more than we ever have. I think that that's what will probably come out of this. Like the next time, you know, those Chelsea fans that were protesting outside Stamford Bridge today and celebrating the news like it was a last minute winner. Amazing. Um, you Amazing. know, when they get back in that stadium, they're going to feel so proud of they played a part in that moment. And, you know, just being part of that togetherness and the unity of in stadiums. I know, you know, obviously not everybody is lucky enough to live on the doorstep of the football club that they support and they can't get to the games. But you still want to see the fans that represent you acting in that way, right? So if you're a Chelsea fan that lives in Ohio, well, you'd have been watching that and you'd have been proud to see that that's the way that they were acting and reacting to, to this great moment. And I think that that's the thing we have to take forward now. Like, this was an awful moment. Um, it gave us all a scare because I, I honestly, I've spoken about European Super League for probably 10 years in various forms in articles and podcasts and radio. I never really thought it was on the verge of happening. And this was, like, they were talking about this happening this year if they could this was starting in august um and you know it's not happening this time but this will come around again one day lads this will come back around one day in a different guise it will be back so let, let's just protect ourselves a little bit and make sure that our love of football remains yeah and that's the key and and look if we can harness this energy and we've seen some real energy in the last couple of days right for you know from supporters from fan groups online it's been i wouldn't say a completely united front but not miles off it um and and i do think that if we can harness that energy and use it for 
other issues in the game, you know, starting, I think, with racial abuse and, and, and trying to get that out of the game. We're trying to bring the women's game up different elements of the game that can be bought into. I think that you look at all of these different things, you look at how you can make the game more accessible, how you can make it a model where fans are able to own it and, and use this energy, harness it to try and try and buy into that. Then that's got to be something good for the game. And if we can change things, and, and I think that's that's important now to remember that the power does exist to change things if you can if you can bring yourselves together and if you can bring yourselves to you know to, to care and, and to actually get the, the people who are in these positions of power to listen and I think we've showed that over the last couple of days and hopefully that's something that continue long into the future and you know you take that away from football into society itself right about mm -hmm. trying to level the playing field about trying to make things better for everybody that's that's something I think we can all learn from and in that spirit, in that in that Corinthian spirit, I suppose, the next part of this podcast is all about clubs that you can still believe in, that you can still buy into. And there are different elements of this. We talk a little bit about grassroots football. We talk about a little about our local clubs. We talk about some clubs that you can buy into on a on a scale of I just really admire this club. And, you know, and I think that that's important to, to note here. It's not a case of turning your back. It's not a case of being like, oh, I don't support one of these clubs anymore who try to abandon the rest of the pack because, you know, that's not what football fandom is about. You know, football fandom is very much not about what they tried to do, but it's also not about turning your back. What it is, is about learning and, and appreciating and looking at other cultures too and thinking, yeah, you know what, that's cool. Maybe I'd like a little bit of that and expanding your horizons. Um, and that's, you know, all we've ever tried to do, I suppose, on this podcast. So, Bear in mind, this was recorded earlier. We are going to stick with it. So all references to the Super League are potentially slightly out of date. But aside from that, here is our chat about football clubs you can still believe in. Can you hear purple? Listen to turquoise? What's the sound of a rainbow? Let's get real. Trying to sell TVs with audio is pretty dumb. So listen to me, Joel McHale. All we want is great-looking TVs with our favorite features, like the quality of Dolby Vision IQ, the smarts of Android TV, and the vibrancy of Quantum.Color. TVs like the Hisense ULED series. Visit Hisense.com and see for yourself. Hisense. Let's get real. Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time to take a little look at some of the clubs that we're feeling a little bit happier about right now, Sam. And look, in a, in a time where people are maybe, I would say, not turning away from their clubs, but they're at least looking for other things to find that might give them a little bit more love for the game, uh, then it might be time to just have a little you know, draw up of the curtain and show people what else is out there. So I'm chucking it to you, mate. Sure, yeah. I mean, Dean put it... You know, Dean put it to me, why don't you just pick out some clubs that we can actually, you know, like? Um, and I thought, okay, I'll, I'll give that a go. And as yeah. I said in the intro, it's um, it's more of a coping mechanism than anything else. We're not saying turn your back on your clubs, but obviously many of you are, are disgusted with what your club has done. Um, uh, this this is this is a spotlight into the slightly better. And area. actually, I, we have had quite a lot of messages over the past year of people who 
who would like advice on teams to support because you do get, you know, particularly in America, people that, that get into the sport suddenly. Well, and they want to find it usually, which is such a beautiful thing in itself. Yeah. And they want to find a team to support because they don't have a natural affiliation to someone through their community. And so we do often get people saying, oh, well, who should I support? And so this is for them as well. Like you don't have to support like Man United or Liverpool or Juve. Like there are plenty of other ways you can follow football now through through streams and stuff that you can follow team that that isn't a super club. Yeah. Okay, right. So I'm going to do my top three and I'll nominate one of you two to uh, produce the top three as well. And I'm going to start at number three with Atalanta. Yeah. And I, I just think that there is no better way to stick it to Andrea Agnelli's thought process <laughs> than supporting Atalanta. The team that he suggested shouldn't have access to the Champions League because they lacked history and had just one great season. <laughs> Well, a year on, Atalanta are in the Champions League two consecutive seasons, and actually they've just beaten Juventus in Serie A. They've got seven games to go. Atalanta could quite conceivably pip Milan to second place in the table. Meanwhile, Juve fighting for the chance to finish inside the top four. They play scintillating football. They have a list of incredible players. They play with freedom. They play carefree. It's beautiful. And sadly, Papu Gomez left in January, so you missed that part of uh, Atalanta's modern history, but they still have a load of awesome players. They're from an understated region in the north of Italy, Bergamo, which is very close to Milan, if you want to tie in for a touristy style thing. And it's not actually that far from Switzerland. I learned that from Google Maps last night. So if you want to go <laughs> skiing as well, you could tie in the old Milan Fashion Week, Atalanta game skiing sounds like a florentino perez proposal that yeah uh yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go but atalanta absolutely love them this is this is the club that have scared the life out of the elite the atalanta and leicester are the two shining examples of clubs that are exceptionally well run well organized very very consistent on the pitch and have upset the monarchy right that's what's happened. And that's why this is all happening. It's clubs like Atalanta. So if you want to be part of the revolution, stick a fist up and support Atalanta. La Dea. Yeah. And also... They're just great, I, aren't they? They yeah. are. I don't know how long Ilicic has got left, but you also get the chance to watch Josip Ilicic, who is just... Well, I don't know. How, how would you who would you compare Ilicic to that's like a... I don't know. Because he's, he's, he's unlike anything you see. Like, nobody can get the ball off him. He's, he's like... Um, he reminds me of Robin a little bit in the way that like you knew exactly what he was going to do, but he's going to do it anyway because he does that. He'll drift inside and he'll do a couple of step overs and he'll bend one in. Mm. Um, he's my favourite Atalanta player. Um, he's so, so yeah, he's 33 now. So, so you want to you want to get on board quickly because I, I don't know if he's going to be there that much longer at this level. But Atalanta have an incredible youth network. You know, so many of the players that you that you look at, at across Serie A and and elsewhere. Um, that are at the top level have started out at Atalanta in one way or another. They've got so many players that they're farming out and selling off. And like Mattia Caldara and Frank Kessie are two that have come to the limelight. Andrea Conti also from Atalanta's ranks. There's so many pe- so many players over the last three or four years that have come through and been sold on. And Atalanta are more than happy to do that. But their youth network is absolutely absurd. The number of players that come through is crazy. Yeah, absolutely. We talk about conveyor belts all the time. Mm. And I'm sure that we're going to talk about other clubs who have this conveyor belt of talent, but it, it does feel like a like a factory. And 
I tweeted yesterday saying, in all of this, I'm constantly amazed by the concept that the Juventus board watched them lose and fail and fall behind in the league to a team in Atalanta who are run so beautifully on a far tighter budget, like a far stricter ship, and thought, what we really need is to lock them out. And I got a couple of quote tweets from people being like, you obviously don't know Juventus. And I was like, yeah, okay, all right, fine. But like, I, in my head, it's just like, that's the antithesis of everything I want sport to be, right? It's it's like the fact that Atalanta are doing well. I've, I've, I've been loving it. I've been absolutely sitting here, like in dreamland, watching this happen. And it's just such a wonderful kind of, it feels like such a wonderful spirit to be a part of. And and look, they, they play such beautiful football under Gasparini. They have this kind of attacking verve and style that, that just doesn't ever seem to change. They You know exactly what they're going to do. And we talked about them playing Juventus on last week's Spotlight and about how the fact it might suit Juventus. It didn't suit Juventus because of Atlanta are that good. Mm. And, and, and they're so good that they're going toe-to-toe with teams. It's not like they're they're digging in. It's not like a, a Simeone will dig in and defend a lead and, and, and maybe scratch a 1-0 out and try and beat teams that way. Atlanta just go at teams. They absolutely fly at everyone. And that's what makes them so exciting to watch. And such an exciting yes. club to be a part of. I just remember two more notable players from Atalanta's ranks, which have to throw in. I can't believe I didn't remember them the first time. Alessandro Bastoni and Gianluca Mancini both came from Atalanta as well. All I've done is name defenders. And yet we're talking about how a really good attacking <laughs> unit they are. So there'll be some attackers as well. But I'll move into number two and call me a glory hunter. But it's Lille, who are currently top of Liga. But while they are in obviously a very good place right now, it's not always calm at Lille. They came within a point of being relegated in 2018. So these good times are much appreciated. It's a young and vibrant squad. All of their forwards are named Jonathan, unless they're Turkish, in which case they're not named Jonathan. They've got some very interesting defenders. Sven Botman, you'll see a lot of links to this summer. Domagoj Bradaric scored that weldy against England under-21s to knock him out of the under-21 group stage. And Zeki Celik as well, Turkish international. And it's Renato Sanchez's comeback season in midfield. The added bonuses of supporting this team, extremely welcoming fan base. A friend of mine named Andy, who's Scottish, adopted Lille for some random reason and started travelling to Lille every other weekend and watching them play at home and French TV did a documentary on him, actually. It was really strange. But they were very, very welcoming and inclusive of him. And he was in the pub. He was drinking with all the all the supporters. And they absolutely loved the fact that someone had taken an interest in Lille from outside the area. Another added bonus, one hour, 22 minutes on the Eurostar and borders Belgium, if you fancy a little excursion to Ghent. Yeah, I've been to Lille. I've been to Lille. I had a lovely time. It was a while back now. It was a, it was a European game. I can't remember which English club they were playing, but... Um, I loved it. I loved it. A lovely little, lovely little place. Um, I remember very distinctly having one of the best baguettes I've ever had in my life. Um, and the beer was very good as well. Yeah, remember nice. nothing about the actual football match. <laughs> who, who played? Dunno, but it was a great baguette. I remember the baguette and the beer was amazing. So if you like baguettes and beer, there you go. Oh, Get man. down there. I'm really glad we have you on this podcast, Dean. You do, you do, you do bring well, it's the, the culture good... element, isn't it, Jack? That's why you, you, you are I mean, Mr. Culture. I'm well traveled. I've been to all these places, all these stadiums around Europe. I can Europe remember none to. of them. Can barely remember going to any of them, but I'll remember a tiny glimmer of something I did on one of the nights out. That's it. That's it. That's why we keep him in. Um, it's it's fun at the moment at Lille, isn't it? And again, it's a bit a bit chaotic, but but it's just an enjoyable it's an enjoyable little journey to be on. I think, if, mm. in, in many ways, and and especially given that the league on title race is currently so tight, four points separate the top four. 
Um, we're about to see a denouement to this season, which is going to be genuine chaos. Uh, it is going to be, you know, incredibly exciting. They play Leon next weekend in first versus fourth, but they could be leapfrogged, which is just, you know, mad considering we're at this, you know, the real sharp end of this season. Um, and it's, an, it's a chance to get into Liga at a time where there is some strange things going on in terms of TV deals and in terms of all of, you know, the, the financials of the clubs and everyone's a little bit concerned. Um, there's a, a host of brilliant players there. And I think long-term, it just seems like uh, somewhere where, where the gaps are going to open up for, for, for things to be explored. And we always talk about Ligue 1's ability as a, as, as a talent factory, right? About the mm. fact that there is so much young talent breaking through Ligue 1 all the time. And you're seeing players that you're going to see on the biggest stages long-term. And, and that's always a, a good excuse to watch football, isn't it? Yeah, big time, big time. I was actually having a chat with uh, one of our patrons in our Discord channel yesterday with with Reese, um, who's a Scottish guy who supports Celtic. And after he'd done thirty minutes of complaining about Celtic, he uh, he told me that he'd he'd adopted Ligue 1 this season and just just thrown himself into not a team but just like the league and was absolutely loving it. And then went on to compare Tom Rogic to Yusuf Yazici, and that's where the conversation ended. A nice comparison, Matt. Really like that. <laughs> really that. Prime, yeah. prime Tom Rogic was absolutely magic. Yeah. But anyway, into Not number one. Very much. Uh, and I'm going to go with Ajax. I think with Ajax, there is something for everyone because oh, yeah. it is it is one of Europe's great clubs. 34 league titles and four European Cups and Champions Leagues. An absolute giant of the 80s and 90s and before. It is steeped in history as a club responsible for some of the game's great breakthroughs in tactics and style, and they have produced some of the game's great visionaries. We're talking Johan Cruyff, Rinus Michels, and Frank de Boer. One of these is not like the others. Also in touch with the modern fan, 21st century branding, the triple X emoji insignia, esports team, awesome looking modern stadium, the away kit, the grey slates with Ryan Gravenberg is awesome. They play great possession football, obviously attack, win titles. They rely very heavily on the youth production line, supplement it with good scouting. And in addition to all of this and the young guns blazing their trail, there it's Ajax is the home of some of Europe's most underappreciated, slightly older players. We're looking at Daily Blind. We're looking at Dusan Tadic arguably in their own roles, world-class players, but just don't really get the attention they deserve, grand scheme. Other bonuses, yes, a quick flight to Amsterdam, obviously. Uh, fantastic place. Uh, everyone speaks English and they eat loads of cheese. So let's go Ajax. Yeah. Oh, yes. It's a good All set, over it. it. All good over set. it. Like, obviously, Amsterdam's one of the best cities in the world anyway. So mm. you, even if you didn't like football, you should be going to Amsterdam just helps that they have like one of the greatest football clubs in the world part of it um i love going there been there loads of times um amsterdam one of the best things as well that you can do is to eat um fries or chips depending where you're from um with mayonnaise all over them like chips was never into, mayonnaise is not chips i was never chips into having is not chips i was never into it until going to amsterdam and trying mayo on my chips lovely touch the stadium is so cool at Ajax um, because they're just, it. you just feel like everybody is like friends. It's very strange. Like they, they really do feel like there's such a togetherness. I hope uh, Mark Geshwind is actually listening to this episode, by the way, lads, because um, obviously a listener, but also a mate of ours. And he is 
Ajax through and through, isn't he? Mm. I mean, how many miles away does he live from, from the club? But well, Washington, he, D.C. to Amsterdam. I mean, he manages to watch every game. So everybody else that's listening to this, if you want to latch on to Ajax, it's possible to follow this team very closely. I know that he's managed to get over to some big games of theirs as well. Um, yeah, it's such a traditional club. They've got an amazing history. And still, to this day, their playing system and style is watched by all the big clubs and then replicated still like Eric Ten Hag, like what he's done in the last few seasons, people one want Ten Hag as their, as their coach now. And I'm I'm sure that I kind of expect him to be mentioned in the Tottenham conversation soon, to be honest, once they get, if they get knocked back by um, Nugglesman. Um, And the buy-in conversation to be. And the buy-in conversation. Exactly. So he should, he'll be mentioned in all those clubs. And this is what happens when you're Ajax because they just go different routes to everybody else and they bring through their own talent and they also give coaches a chance based on what they've been able to do in the, you know, the younger age groups of the club quite often. Um, you know, you go back all the way to, to Cruyff's philosophies, obviously I'm sure Jack will talk about that in a second, but it's a great club. And if genuinely, if you want a second team to support Ajax is absolutely there. Yeah. Uh, look, their youth academy is, I think one of the most amazing stories in, in football. And we got to discuss this on Europa League Breakfast Show last week. And Oh, do you do a Europa League show? And sometimes I invite my friends on it, yeah. Um, oh, you should have mentioned. Second in the list of clubs of produced players in Europe's top leagues. Um, can you tell me who's first? Um, Fulham. <laughs> Let's see. Um, Probably like Chelsea, because they have so many players. Atalanta. <laughs> nope, nope. More rogue. Oh. Don't know, just the tell us. Not, is, the answer isn't is a good partisan Belgrade. Oh, I was oh, going to say a Serbian team just because it is like anyone yeah. good. But that's it. And, and look, the fact that Ajax have this way and, and developed, obviously, by Cruyff and the influence on other teams, for example, Barcelona. And that work's now been taken on by Edwin van der Sar, once of Fulham and Manchester United and Juventus fame. Um, and it's, it's, I think it's this, is the academy of play taught the style of play from such a young age, right? So they start straight in. And the household names that Ajax have produced, Koi van der Sar, obviously, but Bergkamp, both Kluivert, Schneider, Van Basten, Rijkaard, Van der Vaart, David, Seerdorf. The list just goes on and on and on, right? And then they made the Europa League final and the Champions League semifinals with teams full of academy graduates, Davinson Sanchez, Deli Blind. Matthias de Ligt, Frankie de Jong, Donny van der Beek, Hakim Ziyech, Kasper Dolberg. They were then sold and replaced with more academy products. And yeah. the conveyor belt just never stops. And currently we're seeing Brian Brobby, Ryan Gravenberg, Pershurs, Divine Wrench. And it's just like all of these continue to go. And, and Brobby will leave this summer to go to RB Leipzig. And you just know that there's someone else coming through. I, I don't know who they are yet. And I, I don't study Ajax's youth system enough to know who the next person coming through is. But you could, you could be the one. Well, that's the thing. You could watch Young Ajax and you'll be like ahead of the curve. If you want to like find a niche in the game that you can like know about, just watch Young Ajax because in two years time, they'll be in the Ajax first team. And in two years after that, they'll probably be sold to like one of the bigger clubs in that stupid European Super League. (laughs) (laughs) They'll be playing for the European Super League. There we have it. There's sounds three. Atom, very good, Atom, Sam. Ajax and Lille. I, I think it's a very, very strong list, Sam. You know, and 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 clubs you can really get behind in this time of time of dire need. I went, I went away from England, um, just because I know I know lots of people would struggle with another to, to to follow another English club, but just an honourable mention to like if you did if you did want to take a look at something in England, obviously Leicester City are. If you could get around your own kind of rivalry loyalty complex. 
then Leicester City are again a team like Atalanta that have, that have caused this mess by being so goddamn good and so well organised. And that is obviously a project that people are understandably very excited by. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Dean, I'd imagine your ones are going to be domestically based. So I think it's probably great that you go you go next. OK, well, I've got two. I've got two options here for teams you can follow, support, whatever you want to call it. First one, Wharton and Hershey, <laughs> oh, my, no, oh, my no. local team. Now, genuinely, people are already doing this, lads. People are already doing this. Um, Walton and Hersham have a global fan base. They have fans all over the world and they have 100,000 followers on TikTok. They are the most highly followed. <laughs> they are the most highly followed football club on TikTok outside of the Premier League and Championship by a long way. By a long way. What are they doing? What's so good about their TikTok? What's so good about um, Walton and Hersham is... They are owned by a group of seven lads who are about 19 years old, 20. And these lads, they, they went into the club and they've all given themselves different roles. So like one's in charge of like, you know, the media department, one's in control of finance, one's like sporting director or whatever. Like they've all got their own roles and they did a documentary. Um, they made their own documentary. And I think they just grew this. They grew this little fan base around the world based on what they were doing at this club it's so cool and obviously like a lot of our listeners will be in that age bracket and like latch onto them because they do some cool stuff um and they've got massive plans for what they want to do at Walton Hirsch and everything you know they've like changed the badge a little bit they're doing little things around our community to try and get in fans like you know this is probably the team to be honest that Dylan's going to play for and when he's a kid and you see now they've got like this really cool little pitch a uh, little community stadium and um it's down by the river and in Surrey. And there's a lov- lovely pub there, by the way. Once you all come and support my local team, Walton Ocean, we can all go and have a pint in a lovely pub down by the river. Um, my mate Scott is the manager. And like, <laughs> no, stop. You can't just gloss over that. <laughs> my-, <laughs> my mate Scott is the manager. He is the manager, lads. So S- Scott Harris is the manager. He was a very good non league footballer. And when I say they play like Man City, they do. They the football that they are playing is ridiculous. They're currently playing in the combined counties league. We're about eight promotions away from the Premier League. So it's going to take a little time for us to get up to, to the top, top level. But the football is ridiculous. Um, it's so well coached. I actually want to get Scott on the podcast one day because you two, like the way he talks about football and watches football, you two would absolutely love. Um yeah, honestly, like I know that this is uh, this is a, a bit of a stretch for people to imagine we're supporting my local club, Walton and Hersham, but look them up on social media if nothing else, and follow them follow them on there. Um, and I think I think you'll have a good time, and you can watch their games from afar. They've got plans to get to Wembley next season, the FA Vars. So, um, and look, support grass fo- grassroots football, right? Yeah. We're talking about like these are the clubs that actually need your money and need your support because otherwise they do literally die. Yeah. I was going to um, make a, I was going to make a point. I really Hamwell want to make here. as well. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that, the, you know, for me, this is Hamwell town um, who play at the power day. And I'll tell you what, it's not necessarily as, 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 as pretty as, as, as Dean's been making out at Walton and Hersham. It's been, it's been pretty heartbreaking um, getting, getting involved with Hamwell. I've watched them uh, go down 
go down 3-0, come back to 3-2, miss a penalty to make it 3-all against 10 men and then miss two open goals in the last minutes. In fact, it's a lot like supporting Fulham. Um, <laughs> and it, But it is maybe the, the fact that you've been able to go and, and, and sit around and, and I've loved being part of just the community and standing around and, you know, sitting on the sidelines, chatting to the players after the game. Everyone's in the bar after the player players come through. It, it's, it's magical. There is something magical about grassroots football and and the fact that you can, you, you see it, you know, you see every, every kick of the ball, every every blade of grass it is very much kind of right in front of your face and one of the things is you know obviously we talked a couple of weeks back about the different things we were looking forward to about football and we were thinking, we were saying about away days and and those trains on the you know cans on the train and all the best things that we loved about going to Fulham but yeah. actually one of the things I'm most looking forward to is that first day back at the power day where I can just you know wander in wander up buy myself like a program and a pint and I sit there and watch, read it, chat to, you know, the boys who live locally and, and just chat to, you know, work it all through. And, and Hamwell are on a, a media campaign as well on Twitter to basically, they were formed by two lads from Newcastle United, which is why they wear black and white stripes. Um, they are called the Geordies as their, you know, their nickname. And they've basically been on this mad media drive to basically get Newcastle fans disaffected by the Ashley mm. campaign and the Ashley years at their club to basically just become Hamwell Town fans instead. And it's really like, there's loads of it now where loads of people are like, yeah, we don't, we don't actually go to Newcastle anymore. We don't, we don't want it. We're not going back while Mike Ashley's at the club. So what we're going to do is we're going to support Hamwell really vehemently on social media. So it's been quite fun watching, watching it develop, but yeah, on, on the whole, I think it's just like supporting grassroots football is amazing. And, and being able to go down to your local club, whether, whether, what, whether, what division they play in. And we got a lot of people from from america listening and we say this all the time that it, it's a bit different because there isn't that pyramid of football right but but at, at this point i don't think for 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 this you know for, for hamwell and for walton obviously they have designs as you say to get uh, it's not necessarily about that it's not yes it's about the promotion and relegation 100 percent. it's about getting up and down but it's also about just going to see a local team beat up of local players and 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 really really diving into that and getting involved and so you can support football at the top levels and watch football at the top levels and be enthralled by it in the way that we are and we are every week and still love going down to you know to watch division seven division eight football it's they're different things in some ways they're different they're very very different experiences they're very different you know levels you're watching but it doesn't mean you can't enjoy both of them simultaneously and i find people who who are like oh why would i ever want to watch and, and this is part of it right this goes back to all of what we're discussing the fact that people are like oh, why would i watch burnley west brom and i'm like i want to watch hamwell town against old romanians like i want to watch every single bit of football that i can possibly watch you know at, at, at the same time and and as much as i can and and so i implore you that if there are local teams to you go down and enjoy them because the atmosphere and the experience and the whole the whole kind of uh, whole bubble around it is an incredibly infectious and special place to be yeah totally that and uh... Yeah, look, whatever your local team is, yeah, go go and give them a watch. Like, even if you, there, there'll be teams that you, you've driven past for the last 10 years and just always looked out the window and not thought about it twice. Like, go down there. When it's open again, go and watch one of their games. You might enjoy it. Absolutely. Who's your other team then, Dean? Well, the other team's a bit different. So I thought, right, if I had to pick a new team right now, if I, you know, if Fulham were going into this European Super League or, you know, they were doing some stupid stuff and I was like, oh, I don't want this anymore. I'm going to pick a new team. Who would I pick? And do you know who I pick? Crystal Palace. Mm, we've had this Crystal Palace is a great choice for anybody who wants to support a new Premier League club. They've got a really, really solid fan base. They are very noisy, very loyal. They um, 
they've an old-fashioned stadium in a in obviously a major city they're in london um and of course look ted lasso afc richmond are based on crystal palace they inspired them um the colors the stadium everything is is all crystal palace and the reason they the 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 writers chose that was because that's exactly what they wanted for where that show was going and they they wanted to understand what it felt to have a community club in such a major city that feels like its own little thing in a place that's so big and so vast and that's exactly what Crystal Palace are it's a club that I've kind of had attachments to throughout my life for various reasons anyway but one of my friends his, his dad was the manager for a while so for for three or four years I used to go to quite a few Palace games um, and so I got a good idea of what it's like you know they, they sing glad all over and all that kind of stuff so they have their own theme and all this and and it's great and um they've been in some big matches throughout their history you know there's always the possibility of a good cup run currently got Roy Hodgson in charge absolute legend and they have great rivalries as well with a few clubs but particularly Brighton which is one of the weirdest most wonderful rivalries there is in football because they're not you know close neighbors but there's a there's a you know there are reasons you can look into for yourself if you just decide to support crystal palace but it's a great rivalry i think crystal even palace, if you don't go and look it up because it's fun it's fun it's a lot of fun the whole crystal palace brighton thing is one of the best things in english football actually but yeah um palace is is just a great little club in in the premier league and um as i say if they were if i had to pick a new team i'd be picking crystal palace fair enough not I mean, mad on it not mad on that one Palace, Palace rubbed me up the wrong way first first glance, you know. Why? Well, it's partially my fault. Um, went there for the first game at Selhurst Park, got off the overground at Crystal Palace Station. As well, you that's would. your fault. Well, yeah, of course, but it's not actually the closest station. No, no. it's not. not it's really, no, it's really annoying. So that was the first uh, you know, strike against their name. Um, okay. Just naming the station. The first strike is you being an idiot, right? And then, and then the second, stri- second strike was I finally got to the correct um, station. I think was it is it Norwood Junction or Selhurst? Yeah, so, I'm either. Or, or yeah, or Thornton Heath. Yeah, yeah. You can yeah walk I, whichever one it is, I then there was a bit of uneven pavement on the five minute walk to the state to the stadium, and I did my back in. Um, right, so, so you're an idiot. Strike with, two. With, with, you're an idiot with I, weak bones, and, and that's why with, you don't like Crystal. Is this a gibberish ranking? And then when I got, and then when I got there, you can call it a gibberish if you want, because I've, I've got a third reason as well. When I got, when I got there, um, if you sit in the wrong spot, which I, I didn't get to choose my seat, um, you can't see the sky, so you can't see, you can't see half, you can't see one of the goals because, uh, because of the the press in the press box. Like, well, that's it, the press gets, box. Yeah, it gets blocked out, and you can't see the ball when it goes in the sky because of the low roof. But that's one of the beautiful things about old stadiums. No, this is see, this is all I, what I've just told you is three bad things. Yeah, no, I, um, I found them all funny. Okay. Yeah, I I actually enjoyed them all personally. I actually am now a Crystal Palace fan. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's convinced Dean. He's sold. He's sold. I'm glad all him. over. Exactly. <laughs> um, I wanted to just add one more um, because we didn't mention their Germany and the German sides have been pretty much united in their opposition to the Super League prospect. Um, I think it's mostly because. Clubs in Germany are basically based around the 50 plus one rule, which means that fans have a majority say at board mm-hmm. level, which is incredibly important and something that really we should all got bored with ages ago. And you know, when they said it's never too late and it is never too late to try and turn things around, but this is a really good idea and, and, and fans should be given the say 
in in clubs the mm. world over because that's ultimately who it represents and and the fact that these german clubs have been able to stand up and and look there, there is plenty of reasons for a Borussia Dortmund or uh, a Bayern Munich to join this league if you know they would they would gain they would benefit from it but the backlash I think they would think would be like it's just way too far it's just something that they couldn't get on board with they wouldn't be able to to sell um so I wanted to add the club who up to today because Everton have maybe taken this uh maybe taken this crown now had made my favorite statement on the uh, on the Super League which was uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach um who have Basically condemned it in all ways, but they also just, as Sam said on a, on a podcast a couple of weeks ago, they seem to be in a good place a lot of the time. Now, that doesn't mean they win things constantly, although they were successful in, in periods of their history. They are often actually nearly men, not quite as bad as, as Bayer Leverkusen, but they, they do appear to be nearly men in some ways. But Mönchengladbach seems like a fun place to be on a regular basis these days. And the fact that they've brought in a new coach and there's a new new team to get behind there in, in Adi Hutter and where he's going to be. Marco Rose is moving on. We're seeing the fallout from that as he goes to Borussia Dortmund and what happens with that change of someone who's been in charge for so long and, and has instilled a philosophy and that kind of almost one-up personality that, that they've allowed to get behind the Marco Rose project. Now, can Adi Hutter recreate that? Can he change it so the side is a little bit different? I don't know, but it's a it's a project I'm exceptionally excited about seeing in action next year. Um, and they just always seem to be there and thereabouts. They have cool kits. They have a cool stadium. Um, and, and they always seem to be, you know, in the mix, Sam. They always seem to be relatively stable, which is quite a comfy thing if you're a fan, I suppose. Yeah, I think one of the most most stable outlooks in in football in German football but then then therefore and just in football in general as well it's a great job to, it's a great job great stadium they're called the Foles which is a really cool nickname there's a lot to like here I just I, I can only echo what Jack said there big shout out to the German clubs that have rebuffed these offers and I, I've no doubt that even those clubs that haven't necessarily been invited um, you probably look at your Leverkusen's your Gladbachs etc they would also I have every confidence in saying that they would also rebuff these offers because look I've been on some some Bundesliga media trips I've I've sat I've sat through some um, some slideshows and some lectures from some of the CEOs and one of the things that they have like made very clear is their attachment to the local community and how football clubs provide pillars in those uh, local communities and how football is for the fans. They even go into the detail of saying that the, it's it's all about it's all about the football. It's not about the commercialization. The, they even make a point of saying the logo, the Bundesliga logo, is a player. It's not a lion. It's not a crown. It's not some other rubbish. It's about the football, right? And the football is for the fans. They're very, very, very clear on that. And obviously you sit through these lectures and you're like, eh, okay, cool. Okay, okay. And then this thing happens and the German clubs start rejecting basically 300 million pounds a year guaranteed. And then you start to really test those morals and they've passed the test. Just would add one more thing to this. And it was something from our friend, Derek Ray, who commented yesterday, he said, Part of why the Bundesliga attracts new fans is it's easy for all to see that it's real, raw, genuine, German, and yet at the same time, high quality. The more they dig it, the more they want to be and feel a part of it. It's never falsified or fake. And I think this is it, right? It's about creating an authentic experience and then allowing people to buy in. And that's what, what the Bundesliga does so, so well and deserves immense credit for. And I think all of what we've just said about Gladbach and beyond digs into that. 
quite quite deeply and and that's why i think it's an amazing an amazing league to be to be watching and an amazing thing to be a part of if you can get involved with the german league it's something very very special about it um but i think we're probably coming to the end of the show and now normally this would point i would i would come to sam and be like let's do a gibberish ranking but we've actually already done one with his reasons to not like crystal palace which was absolute pure nonsense um and so dean i'm gonna come to you for my favorite part of the week okay mate so here we go it's time for melon of the week this week's melon of the week is bob bradley oh it's nothing to do nothing to do i like how you've just gone completely the other way like i'm not talking about super league anymore we're going the other way yeah they're not you know anyone that's involved in the european super league is beyond a melon right so i'm not i'm not counting all of that rubbish so you know, MLS is back, lads, and I loved it, um, as I'm sure you can imagine. And I'm sure Jack watched a bit, too. Yeah, really. Um, so I only watched two games uh, properly at the weekend. I watched LAFC and I watched Inter Miami against Galaxy. And um, in the LAFC game, the star player is Carlos Vela. 20 minutes into the game, he goes, ball comes into the far post and he stretches out to try and get on the end of it. And he can't get there. And they, as he stretches, he gets up and he kind of, he feels the front of his leg and he, he kind of makes a, a come here motion to like for the doctors to come and see him. But Bob Bradley misreads it. And so while the trainer is going round to treat Carlos Vela for an injury, which, you know, he's getting treatment on and you're not sure how he's, how he's doing. How serious he is. Yeah. yeah, well, Vela starts to walk around the side of the pitch and he looks up and he's been subbed. They've taken him off. Apoku is running onto the pitch to take his place. And Vela's like, uh, no, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. And Bob Bradley's kind of looking at him, like puts his kind of hands on his face. He's like, I thought you were injured. And he's like, I'm not in. I'd like, yeah, I was injured for like 25 seconds. I'm okay. And Vela cannot believe it. And he's walking past all the subs. He's like, what is he doing? What is he doing? So LAFC have got to play like 70 minutes without Carlos Vela. I mean, luckily they won 2-0, but you know, Diego Rossi is also missing for LAFC at the moment, and that's their two best players. That's the source of their goals. It's funny, though, because what they do in MLS is they have these mid-game interviews. So like a few minutes later, you've got um, Bob Bradley with a headset on, suddenly part of the commentary team. Absolutely bizarre, to be honest with you. Very American, that, by the way. That's very American. And and nine times out of 10, what is actually said is a complete waste of time. But Bob Bradley does actually sometimes give some good insight. And obviously on this occasion, it was perfect. So I said to him, what just happened? He said, "Uh, yeah, jumped the gun a bit. Uh, Thought he was injured. Turns out maybe he's not... um, yeah he came over and he said i think i can try it on can try it to get to carry on he said yeah sorry mate done i'm gonna have to take responsibility for this one yeah um so he said look he fronted it up straight away i said i messed up i messed up well, good all news right, is at all least right if you don't lose exactly yeah can yeah. you imagine losing that game this is but... just this is just all part of this is two things one we need rolling subs okay bob bradley's making the argument for that we need rolling subs in professional football two He's a, it's a low-key campaign to stop players from making out that injuries are worse than they are. I wouldn't if, mind if, rolling if, subs. If you look, if you look like you're, you've died, then you will be subbed off. Maybe this is a lesson to all of us. That was the problem. Vela did look quite... I, I was thinking, oh, quite dear, stricken, that, that looks yeah. quite bad. Like, he could be out for a few weeks there. Like, yeah. that's bad, bad news. And um, 30 seconds later, he's fine. Yeah, literally fine. Yeah. 
a lesson to us all a lesson to us all indeed right thank you dean that was good and a nice a nice positive melon to end us on uh, which which does make a change uh, all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to mr sam Tai. cheers mate uh, thank you very much mr dean jones cheers mate i've been jack collins we hope you've enjoyed this episode which hope it has well cheered you up a little bit in what has been a pretty bleak week um and i hope that you know we'll see how developments shake out we'll continue to try and stay abreast of it it's going to be a little bit of a roller coaster ride you'd imagine over the next couple of days gang but we hope that you can see it out and we hope that you're not too disheartened with football at the moment thanks for listening as ever we'll see you later ranks boy peace Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. 